you would, turn the Bible to Revelation chapter 14. We're going to finish up chapter 14 this morning. And this is a heavy passage. We're more than halfway through this final book of the Bible. And we've seen some heavy stuff already, and today we get a little bit more. God's word is true and it is alive, and if we will look to it, then God will use his Holy Spirit along with this truth, and he will go to work on us from the inside out. And today's passage is certainly one that we must put our attention to and seek to understand. You know, the Bible often uses farming or gardening um, analogies to help us understand God and what he's doing. It's in the Old Testament, in the New Testament. He does this. He does this a lot. And it's, uh, it's cool. It's, uh, it's interesting. Now, if you don't ever farm or, or garden, then it may, uh, it may be harder for you to understand. But if you ever have farmed or gardened or been around it, then it helps you understand what the Bible is saying. My dad loves to garden. He's got, a, he's got a garden every spring and summer, and it's always so much fun and really so rewarding when the garden produces a lot of fruit and vegetables, isn't it? Now, you like a tomato sandwich, don't you? I hope so. Or what about a BLT, bacon, lettuce, and tomato more mayonnaise, the better for me. More mayonnaise, salt and pepper, and it's just so good. So good. Or what about fried squash? Fried squash out of your own garden is like next level. There's this pride and joy and happiness. I didn't pay somebody for this. I didn't pay somebody to prepare it. You can just grow it Harvest it and cook it in your own kitchen. It's incredible, right? And just thinking about that is, is really cool. And the Bible does that a lot. It uses that sort of a stuff to get us to understand what God, what God is doing. Today we have this passage that's about a harvest. A harvest. A reaping of a harvest. Read with me, if you will, from Revelation 14. Beginning in verse 14. Then I looked, and behold, a white cloud, and seated on the cloud, one like a son of man, with a golden crown on his head, and a sharp sickle in his hand. And another angel came out of the temple, calling with a loud voice to him who sat on the cloud, Put in your sickle and reap, for the hour to reap has come. For the harvest of the earth is fully ripe. So he who sat on the clouds swung his sickle across the earth, and the earth was reaped. Then another angel came out of the temple in heaven, and he too had a sharp sickle. And another angel came out from the altar, the angel who has authority over the fire, and he called with a loud voice to the one who had the sharp sickle. Put in your sickle and gather the clusters. So the angel swung his sickle across the earth and gathered the grape harvest of the earth and threw it into the great winepress of the wrath of God. And the winepress was trodden outside the city and blood flowed from the winepress as high as a horse's bridle 
for 1,600 stadia. The harvest of the earth. We have seen now week after week that the book of Revelation is not necessarily all chronological. This is not just one thing happening after the next, after the next for all of these chapters. And if that were the case, then this would be the most wild story or movie one had ever seen. Instead, what's happening is the the book has shown us that judgment is coming, Christ will return, God will save his people, and as we keep going through it, it shows us those scenes in in different ways, from different perspectives, in a different light, okay? Hope you're following me with that, but just let me show you a little bit. Look back to what we saw last week at chapter 14, verse 8. Another angel, a second, followed, saying, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great, she who made all nations drink the wine of the passion of her sexual immorality. And so there you have uh, it talking about Babylon has fallen. We're at the end of the world. We're already past the seventh trumpet, okay, all of that. Here we've got the, uh, the, the, the reaping and the harvest and the judgment and the wrath of God, all right? But, but we still haven't even gotten to the seven bowls. We've already had the seven seals and the seven trumpets. The seven bowls are coming up. But turn over to chapter 18, which is even closer to the end of the Bible. Look what chapter 18 is all about. The fall of Babylon. Look what verse 2 says. And he called out with a mighty voice, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. That's just one example again, we've done this many, many weeks, of showing us that this is not necessarily chronological. Sometimes it is. Okay, we are moving toward the end of the world. We are looking for the return of Christ. There will be a judgment and God will save his people. But also what's happening is we're being told the same thing over and over again from a different perspective, from a different way, from a, from, with, with a different emphasis. Okay, What we have here today, if you'll look back to 1414, is what's being described as the harvest of the earth. This is the return of Christ. This is the judgment that's coming on the world. This is something that's going to happen in the future. Has not happened yet. And we've been hearing about it in the book of Revelation, and yet now we see it again. It's described here, it's described in the Bible in lots of different ways, but it's described here as a harvest. And the harvest here is described in a couple different ways. It's a little bit complicated, as we're going to see. But it's described here in a couple different ways. It mentions those grapes. It mentions the wrath of God. It mentions a sharp sickle and a reaping. The Bible uses that language a lot, though. You hear that. Galatians 6, 9 says, don't be deceived. God is not mocked. A man reaps what he sows. The Bible uses that language. You've heard that verse before. That's a great verse for you to remember. A man reaps what he sows. So this harvesting language is common in the Bible. In the Gospels, especially in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, you have a lot of talk about the return of Christ and that being called a harvest. The Bible teaches us that when Jesus returns, he's coming back to do two things at the same time. He's coming back to save everybody that's looking for him. He's coming back to save everybody that believes in him wholeheartedly. He's coming back to get and rescue those that follow him. That's going to happen when he returns. 
And at the same time, when he returns, he's going to judge with a good, just, holy wrath everybody that doesn't believe, everybody that doesn't follow him. This is what the passage today is referring to, and yet it does it in the shape of a harvest. You and I need to know that Jesus is coming back. He's coming. I know day to day it may seem like he's not. I know there are times where you think you're going to die before he comes back. I know you think that. I know you do. And I think that myself. We don't know when he's coming back. The Bible's crystal clear about that. You may very well die before he returns. If that happens, you will meet him in the same way, okay? So you're going to meet him one way or another, face to face. Either you're going to die and bam, immediately be before him. To be absent from the body is to be in the presence of the Lord. There is no uh, holding period. Or he's going to return any day, any moment, maybe before this sermon ends. He will come like a thief in the night when you least expect it. And then you will face Jesus. And let's make no mistake about it. If he really is who he says he is, this is massive. This isn't like, oh, the, 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 the president's coming to town. You know, does it fit in my schedule for me to go? Kind of wish I could. You know, maybe I can't. It's not that. This isn't like some celebrity, big, famous person is going to be around. They're going to be in Louisville next year. Are you going to go see it? Well, I'll see if I can get tickets. I don't know if I can afford it. We got some stuff going on. No, this is going to be the biggest thing you could ever imagine. And Jesus is the king of everything. If Christ be anything, Christ must be everything to you. He's that important. And when he comes back, it will be, as this describes, a harvest, a reaping. And may we be ready for it. Our passage today will help us get there. Number one. The harvest of the earth is coming. For you children that are using a listening page, that's the first point. The harvest of the earth is coming. It is. This is what our passage is about. Look at verse 14. John's still looking. I looked, and behold, a white cloud, and seated on the cloud, one like a son of man. This is very consistent. We have seen throughout the Bible many times. You go back to Daniel 7. You look in the Gospels. You look in the beginning of Revelation 1. In the, in the beginning of Revelation, you have Jesus returning. He's described as one like a son of man. He's coming on the clouds. You've heard that over and over again. I don't think there's any question that this is talking about Jesus. He's coming. He's coming. And this time he is coming with a golden crown on his head. He's the king that reigns and a sharp sickle in his hand. I think y'all know what this tool is. It's a sickle. You hold it like this and it can be sharp as can be. And it is able to just slice right through the grain, right through the wheat. It is able to harvest it right up. The Bible says that Jesus is coming with a sickle in his hand. When that happens, verse 15 says that another angel came out of the temple calling with a loud voice to him who sat on the cloud, put in your sickle and reap. Look what it says. Look at these these phrases here. For the hour to reap has come, for the harvest of the earth is fully ripe. I don't know if it's ripe right now, 
I, I don't know what God's thinking, and you don't either. We don't know when. The Bible, in all of its faithfulness and truth, keeps warning us it's coming. Here, the hours come. Here, the earth is right. Now, what, what might the earth be like in order for it to be right? Does that mean better? Fit? Because when we say something's right, we, we say it's ready, Right? If a fruit or a vegetable is ripe, it's good for eating. It's time to eat it. But we tend to think that when Jesus comes back, things are going to be bad or worse, and then it will be time. Well, this doesn't speak to that, but it does use the very specific farming type of language that the earth is fully ripe, the hour has come. You and I are to know that that day is coming. And for you to know that that day is coming, you ought to be making plans now for it. Trust accordingly. Christ, the one that will be coming to reap and to harvest, ought to be Lord of your life. Your heart ought to be bowed down to him. You ought to love him. When we hear that the harvest of the earth is coming, it brings to mind the timing. And the timing is important here. And all we are told is that it's coming. We don't know when, but it is coming. Let me remind you of a few passages that you should be familiar with. In John chapter 14, when Jesus goes to his father's house that has many rooms or mansions, and he goes to prepare a place for them. You know that passage? He says, And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again. You heard that? I'll come back for you. That's the return. That's the harvest. That's the reaping. Or what about in Acts chapter 1, after the resurrection, after, uh, right before the ascension, where they're asking all these questions, and that angel answers them who stand there looking. This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. As Jesus ascended to heaven, it was told to those, which that was not that long ago, it was told to those, in the same way you saw him go, he's coming again. Y'all, that was a promise that wasn't that long ago. That was a promise that wasn't that long ago. I know it's 2022, but I was at Evergreen Cemetery this week looking at tombstones that said 1800. We're just talking 2,000 years ago. Don't act like this is ancient history that it can't possibly be true. He's coming back. Or what about the way Paul describes it in 1 Thessalonians 4? For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Or what about how the whole book, the whole Bible ends? 
In the final chapter, on the final page of your Bible, in Revelation 22, as Jesus says three different times, 22-7, 22-12, 22-20, I am coming soon. His final last words. The way this book ends, if you've ever read it to the end, if you want to get home today and read the final page of your Bible, I know it's a long book, you jump to the end and you see what the final thing is, and it is the Lord Jesus saying, I am coming soon. I know these days people are very selective on which parts of the Bible they believe and don't believe. I know that's a real thing. I know it is. You get into certain categories of life and people believe some of it and don't believe some of it, okay? If you want to talk about the creator, some people believe what the Bible says and some people don't, okay? You want to talk about how you handle your money, some people believe what the Bible says and some people don't. You want to talk about the way we should be toward government and those that reign and in authority, some people follow the Bible and some people don't. Listen, if you're going to believe Jesus, believe him. Believe everything that he says. Believe everything that this book says. But if you're going to believe any of it at all, believe the grand reality that he has promised he's coming back. That harvest is coming. We, we have to put ourselves without any funny jokes or cute stories, into the scriptures and just sit here for a second and wrestle with in our hearts and minds, do I really believe that? Am I really going to face him? Is he really going to deal with me? Does he know it all? Will it be the best thing ever for me because I'm waiting for it? Will I be caught off guard because I didn't hear the warning. Church, we need to hear today from Revelation 14 that the harvest of the earth is coming. But secondly, this harvest will be heavy. We got to go here because the Bible goes there. It will be heavy. I think we can break this passage up today like this. 14 through 16 is the harvest of wheat, and 17 through 20 is the harvest of grapes, okay? Now, here's why we say this. The harvest of grapes is there, 17 through 20. It says that. It talks about the grapes, and, and they're going to tread the wine press on the grapes, okay? So we get that. The harvest of grapes is there. The wheat is not mentioned in the earlier section, and so there is a little bit of a question here, if you're following along, is 14 through 16 basically referring to 17 through 20, and this whole section is about the grapes and the wrath? Maybe, but I don't think so. It could be. 14 through 16 has so little detail to it that it could be referring to the same thing that 17 through 20 is talking about. I'm not really sure. But because the Bible talks so much about the harvest being both Jesus coming back to save his people, then it seems like this passage may be referring to that as well. And we have two different things here. And that's, that's what I think. I'm not coming up with the word wheat on my own. Remember, in the Gospels, we're told of the harvest of wheat. And for you to really get that, I do want us to turn to this passage, okay? Turn with me to Matthew 13. I want you to read this in light of the harvest of the earth is coming. 
Matthew 13. We're going to start in 24. Please try to turn there. I'll wait until I can't hear any pages turning. Now, Matthew 13 is the passage where you got the parable of the sower and the explanation of the parables and the parable of the sower explained. You know, you got the seeds and you got the, the soils, you got all that. This is some great teaching from Jesus. But once he gets done with that, you get down here to uh, 1324, you got this different parable about the weeds, okay? Now, I think you know this weeds are bad. You don't want weeds in your garden. You know that, right? And when you're really on top of and the weather's not that bad and the bugs aren't that bad, your garden is well-maintained and it looks good. But when it starts to be like 110 heat index and the mosquitoes are everywhere and all that, you kind of get lazy and next thing you know, the weeds are there. Well, he's talking about gardening, but he's talking about people. He wants you to understand people through this metaphor of gardening. So read in verse 24. He put another parable before them saying, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat. There's our word wheat, okay? And went away. So when the plants came up and bore grain, then the weeds appeared also. And the servants of the master of the house came and said to him, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have weeds? Now remember, he's not talking about the garden in your backyard. He's talking about people. He's talking about people. Verse 28. He said to them, an enemy has done this. So the servant said to him, then do you want us to go and gather them? But he said, no, lest in gathering the weeds you root up the wheat along with them. Look at this. Let both grow together until the harvest. And at harvest time, I will tell the reapers, gather the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat into my barn. You see how helpful it is if you'll do a little bit of extra committed devotion to understand reading the Bible. If you're trying to read Revelation 14 at home by yourself and you've not considered anything else the Bible says, you're about to shut the Bible and walk into your day going, I have no clue what that's talking about. That's what happens to most church people, and you know it. And they get so discouraged by that, like I didn't get anything out of it, that then the next day they don't read it. And the next week they don't read it. And guess what we have now in our lives? People that never read the Bible at home. And so we are biblically illiterate. That's the truth and you know it. You feel it right now. I'm talking about y'all. That's the truth for a lot of church people. They won't put a little bit of extra effort into it to know this good, true, holy, living book that is a lamp and light to our light and to our feet and to our path. It is the very foundation that Jesus says we should build our lives upon. You know that, right? Jesus says himself that this right here is the rock-solid foundation that you should be building your life upon. We get discouraged one time because we didn't understand it, and so therefore we never read again. But with a little bit of effort from Revelation 14 connected to Matthew 13, we see here that Jesus also talks about the harvest. 
So when you look back to Revelation 14, let's get back there, you see that we've got, I think, two types of harvest going on. The one big harvest, which is the reaping, which is the reaping and harvest of the wheat, and which is the reaping and the harvest of the grapes. Now, notice at verse 16, I'm back to 14, 14, 16. So he who sat on the cloud swung his sickle across the earth, and the earth was reaped. But see, already in Revelation, we've heard these great things about a, a number that nobody could count, a multitude singing to him, people from all over the place, every tribe, tongue, people, and nation, all of God's redeemed, all of God's ransomed, gathered before him. You remember in Matthew 25 at the great white throne judgment where he says he'll gather the whole world before him and he'll say sheep on the right and goats on the left, right? All of this is talking about the same stuff. But here in Revelation 14, John's getting this vision of Jesus coming on a cloud and reaping the harvest. And that's what this is. Make no mistake about it. Whenever this day happens, the Lord Jesus Christ who died on the cross and shed his blood for the sins of the world because he loves us more than anybody else loves us. When he comes back, he will gather every single person that loves him and is waiting for his return. He will swing that sickle. He will gather every person. He'll gather the people down at the Methodist church, and he'll gather us over here on Fairdale Road, and he'll gather the people at all the churches in Louisville, and then he'll, he'll gather all the people that are truly trusting in the work of Christ all over the United States of America, and then he'll be down in South America with all those people that speak Spanish and indigenous languages and Portuguese, and he'll be over, he'll be over in Asia where they speak all of those languages, and he'll gather up all those believers, and then he'll be in Africa, and he'll gather up all those believers, and it's going to be a harvest of the entire earth where every person that loves the Lord Jesus Christ worthy is the lamb who was slain he's going to gather them up they will be the wheat It'll be a giant harvest may that be a lot of people right may that be a lot of people may that be so many I think that's what the first three verses 14 through 16 are referring to the harvest of wheat but then verse 17 says, different angel, uh, sharp sickle. Another angel comes out, and he's got authority. And he tells him to reap again. And this is why I say for my second point that the harvest will be heavy. This time it's a harvest of grapes. And you know grapes grow on a vine. They hang all the grapes will be gathered up because verse 18 says that they are ripe. And they will take all the grapes and they will throw them into the great wine press of the wrath of God. What will happen is they will trample them and trample them. You probably remember this from that great scene from I Love Lucy. What you do is you take grapes that are ripe and you smash them. And you smash them. And next thing you know, you have all of this juice, grape juice. This is the picture described here of the wrath of God against his enemies. 
It's intense. It's ugly. In all seriousness, it's a bloodbath. Look at verse 20. The wine press was trodden outside the city. Notice that imagery. There's not going to be this ugly defiling of sin inside the city. He's not doing this where this will contaminate his holiness with his people. He's going to do this away from the redeemed. And blood flowed from the wine press. Now get this. As high as a horse's bridle, I'm not into horses, but what's that about this high? For 1,600 stadia. One stadia is 607 feet. 1,600 stadia is 184 miles. 184 miles of blood about this high. When God does what he should do, finally and ultimately, to all of us that have cursed his name and rejected him. It's a heavy scene, isn't it? I hope this isn't the first time that you've heard that God is nothing to mess with. While Jesus is that awesome, loving, lowly, and gentle figure that loves children and treats everybody well, And has mercy on top of mercy. And forgives and forgives and forgives. He is also the same Jesus that tells us in Matthew 12. Don't you think I came to bring peace? I came to bring a sword. And I'm going to divide households and nations. Because life is about God. And everybody that doesn't want their life to be centered on God. Will one day have to deal with. With God. He often gives us strong language like this, and it is heavy. I remember when that movie, The Passion of the Christ, came out. Many of you all have seen that. It's pretty uh, vivid, it's violent, it's rough, it's kind of hard to see if you're being honest. And I remember a lot of people going, Oh my goodness, it was a lot worse than I thought. Y'all have heard people comment like that. I can't believe it. That was hard. I had to turn away. I didn't want to watch it. It made my stomach hurt. I won't let my kids watch it. You hear people say that sometimes. The Bible does not hold back from letting us know that when the wrath of God meets people that have rejected him, the punishment and the judgment will be good and right and true. And it wants us to know that. It wants us to feel that. It wants us to fear that in a good way. Now, I know that nobody really likes hellfire and brimstone. I don't want us to have somebody on the corner of of, of Fairdale Road out there with a sign telling everybody out there that they're going to hell and all of that. I'm not a fan of that. I don't do that. But that little aspect of the message is not wrong. It's just disconnected from so many other things of God. Hellfire and brimstone is as true as true can be. But the one bringing the hellfire and brimstone is the almighty God that is your father. And loves you. And when he brings that wrath and judgment in the future, he'd already brought it on the cross of his son Jesus beforehand. Jesus dealt with this bloodbath himself. 
Jesus became a bloodbath himself for us on the cross. Isaiah says that Christ was so mutilated that you could not recognize him. He did not resemble a man. He looked like a slaughtered piece of meat. Is that a cow? What is that? Is that a slaughtered lamb? What is it? No, that's the king of kings suffering the wrath of God for me and for you. Don't you ever let your heart or your head here today drift off into this negative type of thinking that the world is feeding you day and night that there's something wrong with God because he's going to finally bring the true judgment that he should. He brought the true judgment on his son for you a long time ago and eventually in his timing, when it's ripe, he will bring it the way he should. It's heavy, but it's true. But God tells us a lot of heavy things. In Matthew chapter 18, you got that great passage that says, you've got to become like a child, and if you'll believe like a child, you'll be saved. Y'all know that, right? You've got a great teaching from Jesus. Hey, you can be a great theologian, smart as can be. You can go to seminary, read books, listen to sermons all the time, and not be saved. You can be a little kid, a little kid that knows I sin. God loves sinners, and that's why he sent Jesus to die and believe in him. And the Bible teaches us that we should be like children in that way, childlike faith. But when it's saying that in Matthew chapter 18, do you know what it says in verse 6? Matthew 18, 6 says, if any of you cause a little child to stumble or sin, It would be better for you to tie a millstone around your neck and you be thrown into the ocean. Jesus says that. Now, a a, a millstone around your neck and thrown into the ocean is not good, is it? Not good at all. You know what happens when that happens? You sink straight to the bottom and you don't come back up. It's bad, but it's better. It's better. Matthew 18, 6 says it's better than what's coming from God Almighty, the one who always protects children, the one who always takes care of children, the one who gives us children as an example to follow in trusting him. You know what's coming on the person that causes a child to stumble? The wrath of God. And the wine press of the Almighty that will make a millstone in the ocean seem good. Don't take God lightly. I know this hit in 1950. And we're not all just showing up at church to hear hellfire and brimstone. But we're a church of the living Christ. And we follow his word. And we didn't start with Revelation 14. We've been in this for months and months and months. But he's finally brought us there. The harvest is coming And it will be heavy. In Matthew chapter 24, if you want to turn there, you can. I don't want to lose you with all this turning. But if you want to turn there, I want you just to hear a little bit more about uh, this heaviness. It's Matthew 24, starting in verse 36. But concerning that day and hour, no one knows. Not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. For as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. 
For as in those days, oh, here's some pages turning, I'll wait. Matthew 24, 38. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark. Look at this next phrase. And they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. Then two men will be in the field, one will be taken and one left. Two women will be grinding at the mill, one will be taken and one left. Therefore, stay awake, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have let his house be broken into. Look at verse 44. Therefore, you also must be ready. For the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. The Bible says be ready. Have your eyes open. Have your heart open. Have your sensitivities up, your alertness, your awareness. That the harvest is coming, a judgment will be real. That the the way of escape is the love of God through Christ and the work of Christ on the cross. The redemption for the world, the savior of the world. Be focused on that, be ready for that. You know, the car rider line at school is a, is a fascinating study, and there are so many thoughts about it. If you get there at a certain time, you'll be the first one, you'll whip right through there. That rarely happens. If you get there at a certain time, you're going to be backed up forever, you're going to wait 30 minutes. Car rider lines are very frustrating. I guess, well, car rider lines are very frustrating. So there's some people, seriously... They get there about three hours early and wait so that they don't have to wait. A lot of people do that. Seriously, a lot of people do that. Well, in the elementary schools in the car rider line, they keep them inside. They got a number. They get your number. They, they uh, walkie-talk it in, and the kid runs out. But at the middle school or the high school, it's totally different. They're all outside, like hundreds of kids all outside. There's no name taken. There's no nothing like that. Hundreds of kids standing out front. It just looks like a sea of people. You can't recognize any kid. Hundreds of cars coming through, lined up all the way back out, outer loop, national turnpike, everywhere. Cars everywhere, okay? People everywhere, cars everywhere. What, what is going on here? And you know what happens every single time? When the kid's car pulls up, They spot it, and they're ready for it. Nobody has to tell them. It just happens. They're over there talking with their friends for 10 minutes, 15 minutes, 20 minutes, 30 minutes. They're cutting up. They're on their phones. They're watching videos. They're having a good time. But when when we whip around in in that gray van, they're there. They're right there at the curb ready for it. And there's a lot going on in this life. You got a busy schedule this week. You're tired. You're exhausted. You're wondering what in the world's going on. Why is everything so hard? I don't know what to believe. I don't know what to think. I don't know what to do, right? Job security, life security, family security, happiness security. I mean, I'm just all over the place in my thoughts and feelings. I know that. But won't you be like the older kids in the car rider line? There's a lot going on. But the one thing you're not going to miss is mom whipping through the parking lot to pick you up. The one thing you're not going to miss is that your Savior is coming back. You're going to be ready for that. May that be us. May it be that we are ready. The Bible warns to be ready. May it be that we're ready. 
May we also know in Revelation 14 that it's heavy, this harvest of wheat and this harvest of grapes. Finally, as we conclude this study on harvest, number three, the harvest is plentiful. Matt read this passage earlier, and it's a passage that you know. It's probably the most familiar passage in the Bible on harvest, isn't it? The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. And I just want to, in closing, bring this passage up and bring it back to our attention. In Jesus' ministry, God was working. They were going out. He was sending them out. They were working. They were doing miracles. People were coming. The crowds were growing and growing and growing. The ministry of Jesus and his apostles was amazing. God was working. But what quickly happened was Jesus and his 12 were way outnumbered. The Bible tells us that there were hundreds and there were thousands and there were large crowds and there were all of this. Lots and lots of people. And while the ministry was going on, we have Jesus saying, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. But notice the next words. Therefore, pray to who? The Lord of the harvest. Pray to the Lord of the harvest. That he would send out workers into his harvest. Everything about the harvest is Jesus's. He's the Lord of the harvest. It's his harvest. The workers in the harvest are his workers. You have to pray to him to get him to put the workers into the work of the harvest. And in Revelation 14, he's the one with sickle in hand, harvesting. I hope you feel this morning that these passages are heavy. But I also hope you will hear in conclusion that God is calling you to be one of those workers in the harvest. If a child grows up in your home, will they know the love of Christ? If a neighbor is spending time talking to you about anything, will they know the love of Christ? Will the people that are in our midst know the love of Christ? The harvest is plentiful. In other words, what we read about in Revelation 14, that that harvest is coming, every day leading up to it is an opportunity for you and I to contribute to the harvest. Isn't that awesome? That's what we are. That's why God has us planted right here. That's why you live where you live and work where you work and intersect with the same people that you intersect with all the time because you're supposed to be a worker for the Lord of the harvest helping people get into the harvest. I don't want to be creepy here, but there's two sides of the harvest. And God might use us to make them be a part of the wheat instead of being part of the grapes. God might use us to get people to be a part of the wheat instead of being a part of the grapes. And the first point is that the harvest of the earth is coming. But as long as he does not come yet, we are about the harvest, helping people get in it. That's our job. That's what we do. We point people to him. And make no mistake about it. In Revelation 14, okay, in Revelation 14, and the harvest and the grapes and the blood flowing. There's no way to weasel yourself out of it by saying that you were a pretty good person. That ain't going to cut it. This is about Jesus. 
on Wednesday, we buried Miss Alma Nicholson. Funeral was next door, and then she was taken to Evergreen Cemetery. Y'all know Evergreen, right? Up there by Mel High School off of Preston. She was buried there, and, and we went. Now Evergreen doesn't like you to go to the, to the burial site. They want to do a staging area and dismiss from there. So we did that, and some of us went back to see where she was buried. But they do that staging area kind of at the very back where the road loops around, and there's a big, there's a big nice, like, mausoleum, huge concrete building at the back. Well, actually, this is the one that's in the middle. It's not the one at the very back. It's the one that's in the middle. You can go in there and do a service if you want to. We didn't go in there. There are people buried in those mausoleums, big, fancy buildings. And the next time you're there, I want you to look for this. If you walk up those steps, I mean, just big, impressive building, huge, concrete, powerful building. If you walk up those steps, there's some doors there. They can, they can roll a casket in. They can do a service. But do you know what it says above that door in giant concrete letters? At Evergreen Cemetery, it says in massive this isn't a banner. This isn't spray paint. This is concrete. This is going to take a bulldozer or a crane or a wrecking ball to get rid of. You know what it says right there? Without God, comma, nothing. At Evergreen Cemetery, it gets it exactly right. Now, I'll admit, I don't know if there's anybody at Evergreen Cemetery that still believes that. Praise God for the people, praise God for the people that built that. And it is a message of our time that the people that built that, I don't know, a hundred years ago or however long it was, thought it was so important at the death of loved ones that we send the message without God nothing and awesome that they did that. Nobody ever points it out now. I've never, ever had anybody point it out to me, and I've been there probably 300 times. Nobody's ever pointed it out to me. But when we come to church on a Sunday morning, and we open up God's book of how he loves us and how we can be saved, and what he's done for us and how we can find peace and get our lives right with him, it teaches the same kind of thing. The harvest is coming. The time is now. The fields are ripe. The sickle is coming in hand. And he's going to reap. And the hope and the comfort is he loves us. Without God, nothing. Church, may you be moved today to trust in Christ. To repent of your sins. To say, God, forgive me, and I believe in you. And if you are believing, may you be moved a step further to say, I want to help everybody else know him. I want to be a worker for the Lord of the harvest in his harvest. I want my life to keep people from the grapes. I want this church to keep people from the grapes, don't you? Let me say that again. Don't you? 
We want this church and this very location in our very lives to keep people from the grapes. And in Matthew chapter 9, that's the message. Pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out workers in his harvest so that people will be in a part of the harvest of wheat. May we feel that today from Revelation 14. Father in heaven, thank you for your word being what we need to hear. Not always what we thought we needed to hear, but what we need to hear. God, thank you that you are the Lord of the harvest. God, if it was up to us to figure out how to end the world, we would surely go wrong. But in your timing, you will do what you should do. Father, in the meantime, until that day comes, may we be workers in the harvest. But the passage does not tell us to preach hard at people to get them to. The passage tells us to pray to you. So, Father, right now, against me preaching at them, Lord, we ask now that in the midst of us, you would raise up workers for your kingdom. God, raise up men and women here, moms and dads. God, raise up young children, raise up single people and married people to say, where I live and where I move, I want to be a part of helping people get into the harvest. God, may we see a reaping of the sowing here in Fairdale and South Louisville. God, may you use our lives to draw people to Christ. God, we confess that your judgment will be just and you will be worshiped and glorified through it. But, Father, we don't want anybody to go through it. We want them to escape it through the work of Christ. Father, make us a witnessing church. Make us an extending church. Make us a church that's being used for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.